to see all of you here today, and uh, it's a joy to uh, be here with you today, and you guys have been in our hearts and in our prayers for quite some time, and we constantly uh, lift you guys up to the Lord, and I'm encouraged by all the great things I hear about the Lord's doing here, and seeing you, and seeing you face-to-face brings great joy to my heart. Uh, We often pray for your elders, we pray for your leaders, and for their families as they continue to lead here, and I was sharing with Brother Clark, uh, Gary Thrash, who came over and preached for you guys a while back, uh, had a heart attack, and the Lord had mercy on him. Um, It could have claimed his life, and uh, they were able to put a stent in and um, get enough blood flow to where he wasn't in imminent danger, but he's scheduled for open heart surgery next week or the week after, so... If you guys would please pray for Gary Thrash. Uh, Gary's been there at Shelbyville Mills longer than I've been there. Just a dear brother in the Lord, and uh, he sends his love and prayers to you. And also this morning on the way over, Derek Melton said, please make sure that you tell the church there, especially Clark and Jared, that I love them and that I'm lifting them up in prayer. And so there's folks all over that love you and hear of your faith and hear of your steadfastness and uh, rejoice in what God is doing here among you. Would you open up your Bible to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation? And if you would find chapter 10, I'm going to do something today that's almost impossible. Um, It's certainly, I'm not comfortable, real comfortable doing this, but I'm going to dive right into uh, the middle of the book of Revelation, which is not the wisest thing to do. However, uh, I am preaching verse by verse through the book of Revelation at Shelbyville Mills, and we've made our way up to chapter 10. And when uh, Jared and Clark and I talked about uh, me coming over today and preaching, the Lord, I believe, made it very, very clear uh, that this is the text that he wanted me to preach. And I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit. It's his book. It's his church. We're purchased with Christ's blood. And I believe the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, don't you? And so we'll just let the Spirit of God uh, speak to us today through the reading of his precious word. Um, I could spend the whole time doing background and miss the point, and so I'm not going to give a whole lot of background except just to tell you that um, when you come to Revelation chapter 10, what is being experienced here is a pause between the blowing of the sixth and the seventh trumpets. You know if you've read the book of Revelation that the tribulational period is going to be marked out through a series of three different judgments There's going to be seven seals that are broken. The seventh seal ushers in seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpets are going to be blown. And then the seventh trumpet ushers in seven vials of God's wrath that's being poured out on this planet to bring it back under the rightful rule of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. When you come to Revelation chapter 10, there's a God-ordained pause between the blowing of the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And in this pause, I believe that God allows His Son, Jesus Christ, right in the midst of tribulation, to appear to encourage the elect in heaven, the elect on the earth, to encourage and comfort them of Christ's coming final victory. Right in the midst of tribulation, literally the tribulation, God focuses the eyes of his people back on his son so that they'll not be overwhelmed 
and lose hope at all the terrible judgments and the terrible things that are happening to men on the earth who are under the severe wrath of God. We read about in Revelation 8, hail and fire falling from heaven. Uh, it, it says in Revelation 8, 8, that there was a great burning mountain thrown into the rivers and the seas, and, and the waters were polluted. In Revelation 8, 10, and 11, a great star named Wormwood uh, pollutes the fresh drinking water of the earth. Uh, Revelation 8, 12 talks about the sun and, and the moon and the stars being smitten so that they lose a third of their light. Locust, chapter 9, ascend out from the abyss to bring plagues and judgment on rebellious men and women. In Revelation 9, a demonic army of, of some 200 million strong diverge on this planet again to bring judgment from God, to slay one-third of the part of men. So much so that when you add in the destructions of the seals with the trumpets, by the time the seventh trumpet is blown, one-half of the world's population is eliminated by God. One-half of all humanity is wiped out under the wrath of Almighty God. And right in the midst of all this tragedy and suffering and judgment and wrath, God allows a reprieve. God allows the smoke and the fire, as it were, to clear for just a moment. And as they do, Jesus Christ, in all of his glory, appears to assure the elect of God that he is Lord that he is sovereign, that he is in full control even in this season of turmoil and death and destruction. And it's so important for you as a Christian, it's so important for me that we not get our eyes fixed on all the evil in this world, all of the destruction and all of the immorality in this world. It's so important that we do what Hebrews 12.2 says, that we look away, the way it reads in the Greek, look off away unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to constantly look off, look off away from all that's surrounding us and, and focus our gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In difficult times of trial, in difficult times of tribulation, the path to sanity, the path to peace, the path to joy is to look off, to look away unto Jesus. This, I believe, is the message of Revelation chapter 10. I love the part of the story in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian arrives at Pilgrim's Rest weary from the perilous journey to the celestial city, battered and bruised from the onslaughts and the temptations of the enemy of his soul. God gives Christian an oasis. He gives him a much-needed rest, a, a pause for just a moment from the warfare. Every Christian pilgrim needs this. Every Christian needs this pilgrim's rest. And here Christ gives his people, right in the midst of tribulation, a pilgrim's rest. And I want to tell you, you can learn how to find that pilgrim's rest wherever you are. You can learn through Jesus to find that pilgrim's rest in whatever temptation and trial you may find yourself in. Revelation chapter 10 is for the weary Christian. Revelation chapter 10 
is for the tired Christian. Revelation 10 is for the Christian who's troubled by all the sin and the wickedness and the tribulation in our world today. Through all the darkness and through all the gloom that faces you this day, I pray today that as Peter calls Jesus the day star, I pray that the day star would dawn on you and give you new hope and new resolve and encourage your faith and strengthen you to walk on in the midst of whatever troublous times you may find yourself this very day. As a hunter, I've learned that it's always darkest right before the dawn. Humanity and earth are about to go through the darkest and most dreadful time of human history. But just before the seventh trumpet is blown, and just before the seven vials of God's undiluted wrath is poured out, God shows us the prize. God shows us what we're enduring for. God shows us what we're living for. Listen, are you listening to me? It's Jesus. Jesus is the reward. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the prize. And I pray that through this text, God would take my eyes and take your eyes and lift them off away from our troubles and put them firmly fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The title of my message today is Seeing Jesus in the Midst of Tribulation. And I'll ask you to stand with me in reverence to reading God's holy word together. I'd like to read Revelation 10, verses 1 through 7. I wish I could preach the whole chapter, but that's not going to be possible today. Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through verse 7. If you're ready, would you say amen? He says, John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow, was upon his head, and his face were as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write what I had heard from the voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up the things which are thundered by the seven thunders and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and all the things that therein are, and the earth, and all the things that therein are, and the sea, and all the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he has declared unto his servants the prophets. And Father, today we thank you for holy men of God speaking as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you have given to us your complete revelation in the 66 books of the Bible and how much more specifically in the revelation. 
Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through this book that we might see your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I know my greatest need today is to see your son. And I suspect that's true for every person in this room, how we need to see Christ and how we let so many things, so many things obscure our vision of seeing Jesus. But as we sing it all the time, Lord, be thou my vision. Lord, may we see you today in all of your glory and may you rekindle in us a holy faith and a fire to take another mile's journey with you, Lord. And it is in your precious name, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, I pray. Amen and amen. Please be seated. When I preached this message originally, I had three points about seeing Christ in tribulation. I hope to give you two of those this morning. God reveals some things to us in this text right in the midst of tribulation to give us hope. It's impossible for me to know what each of you in this room may be facing. It's impossible for me to know what you may have just gone through or unbeknownst to you and me what you may be about to go through but here God gives us hope and he gives us strength and it's seeing Christ in the midst of our tribulation notice the text reveals first of all the appearance of Jesus Christ Revelation 10:1. John said and I saw another mighty angel that came down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. We're given a little bitty clue here in the word iskarus in the Greek, mighty. It lets us know that uh, this is no ordinary angel. Strong says this is an angel mightier than all others. Thayer says this is an angel of who has strength of soul to completely sustain the attacks of Satan. I believe this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be thrown by the word angelos, angel. It simply means a messenger of God, one sent to bear tidings on God's behalf. You know if you've studied the Bible at all of something theologians refer to as a theophany. Oftentimes Jesus did, in fact, appear in the Old Testament as, quote, the angel of the Lord. He appeared to Moses in Exodus 3-2 as the angel of the Lord. Christ appeared to Israel in their wanderings through the wilderness as the angel of the Lord. You can read about that in Judges 2. Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 10 that that rock that followed them was Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to King David at the threshing floor of Aruna as the angel of the Lord. 2 Samuel 24, 16. Another clue helps us by this cloud that is surrounding this angel of the Lord. Clouds seem to be specially associated with Jesus Christ. We see this in Christ's ascension. It says a cloud, Acts chapter 1, 10, received Jesus up out of their sight. 
at the rapture of the church. It says we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And clouds are used to describe the second coming of Jesus in Revelation 1.7. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him. Literally, Right in the midst of the tribulation, God allows Christ to appear in clouds of glory to refocus our eyes once again on him as the answer, as it says in Acts 3.21, the restitution of all things. Everything finds its fulfillment. Everything finds its completion in the person of Jesus Christ. God focuses our eyes in tribulation on Christ to strengthen our faith, to give us perseverance, to sanctify us and mature us and set us apart. Where are you today? What tribulation are you facing today? What is it that troubles your mind this very hour? What is it that troubles your soul this very moment? The angel of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is being preached to you today, and I pray you'll see him that will give you hope, that it will give you joy, and as Paul says, that Christ would once again, Colossians 3.11, be your all and in all. Please, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Look to Jesus. Don't look to your trouble. Don't look to your worry. Don't look to your anxiety. Don't look to your depression. Don't look to your fear. Church, look to Jesus. Look away unto Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy way acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Thank God that right in the midst of trouble, Jesus appears. And how many times has he done that? Jesus, Jesus. How I trust him. How I've proved him or and or. Right in the midst of tribulation, Christ has a way of showing up. Look to Jesus. Number two, and I pray this is an encouragement to your soul and where I want to spend the bulk of our time. Not only the appearance of Christ in tribulation, but notice the description. You know, we study the attributes of God, and I know of nothing that's more strengthening for our faith than to study the attributes of God. And here, we're given some attributes of Jesus Christ. We're given a description of Jesus, not so that we can be more theologically astute, That's not the point. He gives us this description of Jesus to comfort us. He gives us this description of Jesus to encourage us, to strengthen us to stand. God does not give us more knowledge of himself merely for knowledge's sake. God gives us more knowledge of himself to strengthen us and to encourage us and to establish us, even though everything around us may be failing. Notice the description of Jesus in Revelation 10, 1 through 7. First of all, all of these descriptors, and this is why I believe it's Jesus, all of these descriptions that are given of this angel of the Lord here have already previously been given of Jesus, every one of them. Every one of these have already been previously given to describe Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
First of all, it says in Revelation 10.1, on his head there was a rainbow. You can find that description of Christ in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. The rainbow encircling the throne of our Lord and Savior and God the Father. This is also a reminder to us, oh God help you to see this, that right in the midst of fire, right in the midst of judgment, right in the midst of trial, right in the midst of tribulation, God allows a rainbow to appear, just like he did in Genesis 9, 12 through 16. To say to the world that humanity will never again be completely consumed by a flood. And though these judgments are austere, and though these judgments in Revelation are extremely, extremely severe, Habakkuk 3.2 teaches us this principle, that in judgment, God remembers mercy. Thank God. In judgment, God remembers mercy. A preacher that Kayla and I used to hear preach right after we got married, and we so loved to hear him preach, John Phillips, he, he, he has such a beautiful explanation of this. He says it, it's as if God allows Christ in the midst of tribulation to show up and there's a rainbow on his head. There's, there's that covenantal promise that comes with Christ's presence. Philip says it's, it's as if there's a bow in the heavens with no arrow attached. And that's because that arrow, the father shot and fired it and sunk it deep into the heart of his only son, Christ as our substitute, Christ as our propitiation, Christ as our legal, penal, vicarious substitute, Jesus Christ took our place and bore the wrath. And look, while we may go through severe trial and we may go through severe tribulation, we'll never pay the price for our sin. That, that price has already been paid. The full wrath of God has been absorbed. And while we may feel the heat of the flame, We'll never be consumed by it because Jesus Christ has paid the price. In your tribulation and in your suffering, look away unto Jesus. Look to Christ. Remember him who suffered in your place and know that your suffering will only be temporary because Christ has paid the price. There's a rainbow on his head. And it says that his face were as it were the sun. Again, this is a description of Jesus Christ that's already been given in Revelation 1 verse 16. It says the face of Christ was shining as the sun in all of his strengths. One of the previous plagues that God has poured out on this planet in the book of Revelation is that he caused a third of the sunlight and a third of the moonlight and a third of the starlight to be darkened. And in the fire and in the smoke and in the haze of the gloom and the darkening of the size, Jesus shows up. In all of his glory, in all of his luminous brightness, in all of his glorious countenance, Jesus shows up in the midst of trouble to give us strength. Oh, the light. Oh, the comfort. Oh, the warmth of the presence of Jesus Christ. The temptation... For every one of us, when we're hurting, is to internalize. The temptation for every one of us when we've been hurt is to focus on the pain, the source of the pain. And that only makes it worse. 
It's a downward spiral. What faith demands is that you lift your eyes off of your suffering and place them on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It says his face was shining as the sun. No matter how dark, no matter how gloomy, no matter how smoky the fire may be, look to the countenance of Jesus Christ. Look to the face of Jesus. Do you guys know what a fermata is? Anybody in here in music? We call it a bird's eye. And when you see you're reading a musical score and you come to that fermata, you come to that bird's eye, you're supposed to hold the note out. In our Baptist singing growing up, I'm convinced we put a lot of fermatas where they weren't, <laughs> they weren't originally written. But it's good. How many of you grew up singing this song this way? And boy, we'd hold it out. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises, Jesus is mine. I can't tell you. The numbers of times I'll be on my bicycle or I'll be in a tree stand or I'll be walking down through the halls of our church and my mind will just be plagued and sore and I'll be focusing on all my troubles and all of a sudden I'll just start singing heavenly sunlight. And boy, when I get to that note, I hold it out like dad used to. I want my heart to hear. I want my mind to recognize there's something beyond my gloom. There's something beyond my doom. There's something beyond my despair. There's someone, and it's the one who has a rainbow on his head whose face is shining as the sun in his strength. Look at his feet. It says his feet are as pillars of fire. How appropriate, Jared, that we started out today singing holy, holy, holy. This this speaks of the holiness of God. This speaks of the holiness of Jesus Christ. This is a description of Jesus in Revelation 1.15. It says there his feet were as fine brass burning in a furnace. It's the same vision Isaiah saw in Isaiah 1.6 of the burning fiery feet of Almighty God. And Isaiah cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's a temptation for us to focus on gloom. It's a temptation for us to focus on on all the bad things that have happened, to be wrapped up in depression and caught up in anxiety. And yet here we are introduced to one whose feet are burning like pillars of fire. It speaks of the holiness of God. You know what Christ is saying? Right in the midst of your tribulation, he's saying holiness wins. Truth wins out. Righteousness wins. Love wins. Peace wins because Jesus wins. That's the whole theme of the book of the Revelation. Though things in earth seem to be, seem to be would be the key word, seem to be spinning out of control, oh they're not. Notice another description of his feet. It says that one of his feet is standing on the earth and the other is standing on the sea. When I was growing up, there was an old gospel song. I'm from Florence, Alabama, just as twangy as Arab. And there used to be an old gospel song, and that song said, when waves are over your head, they're under his feet. I'm telling you, that's good singing. 
when waves are over your head, they're under his feet. There's nothing you're now facing. There's nothing in the sea. There's nothing on the earth. There's nothing in this planet you're now facing or ever will face that's caught Jesus off guard. He is sovereign. He is God. He is Lord. He is in control. And there's nothing that exists outside of the scope and the purview of Jesus Christ. Whatever you're facing, it is under the feet of Jesus Christ. This whole planet is under his reign. This whole planet is under his rule. It says he cried out, verse 3, with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. How can this be anyone but Jesus Revelation chapter 5 says he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's already been described that way in this very book. I started a practice years ago, and I've done it my entire marriage, even really before Kayla and I got married, called reading the proverb of the day. And I just lather, rinse, repeat, lather, rinse, repeat. Every year, when every month when a new month starts, I just start over. January the 1, you do Proverbs 1. January 2, you do Proverbs 3, 2, and so forth and so on. And you just keep doing it, and you just keep doing it until Jesus calls you home. Because wisdom's the principal thing. Therefore, with all you're getting, get wisdom and get understanding. It's our greatest need. And I was reading on the 30th of December, the proverb of the day. And this is the way Solomon describes a lion. We use the term king of beasts, and that may not be exactly found that way in the Bible, but it it certainly is a description that Solomon would be familiar with. In Proverbs 30, 30, Solomon says, A lion is stronger than all beasts, listen to this, and he turns away from none. The lion is the strongest of all beasts, and he turns away from none. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And as that, Christ turns away from nothing. Christ turns away from no one. This is why I love Thayer's definition of this angel of the Lord. He said this is a special angel in a class all to himself. There's not another like him. He said this is an angel who is suited to withstand the direct onslaughts of Satan. I got news for you. The world wants to paint Jesus out as some effeminate pale skin pushover. Let me just tell you right now, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a lion that turns away from nothing. And everything is going to be subdued under the presence and the power and the majesty of this kingly Lord Jesus. He is the lion who is roaring. Your troubles are roaring at you. You hear the roaring of gender confusion in our world today. We hear the the roaring of the LGBTQ community. We hear hear the roaring of lawlessness. We hear the roaring of depraved Republicans and depraved Democrats. We hear the roaring of groups trying to pull us in all different directions. I challenge you to listen for another roar. And that is the roar of the voice of Jesus Christ and it will bring peace to your soul. It will bring sanity to your soul. I don't know, maybe... Six months ago-ish, I just said, you know what? I'm not looking at Twitter anymore. And I'm just not going to read all these posts. Because every bit of it's negative, negative, negative. And I just found it was vexing my spirit. 
It was polluting my mind. It was weighting my heart down. And I just kind of turned it off, fasted from it, moved away from it, and just turned my focus back to the line of the tribe of Judah. And it is amazing. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding that's keeping my heart and my mind through my Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, stop listening to all the negativity and listen to the voice of the lion, Jesus Christ. Right in the midst of your tribulation, there's a lion that roars that says, I'm bigger than that, I'm stronger than that, I'm more capable than whatever it is you're facing. This is why I said in my introduction, Jesus is the prize. Christ himself is the reward. He is the goal. When you have Jesus, you have everything. When you don't have Christ, you have nothing. Look at verse 5, another description. It says, he lifted up his hands to heaven. I want to ask you, is that not exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Is that not exactly what he did? Christ lifted up his hands. They were nailed to the cross for our sin. Christ became a substitute, a payment for our sins. In his atonement, Jesus shed his blood so that we could be saved. Saved from what? (laughs) From everything. From sin, from hell, from wrath, from judgment, from tribulation. And even though God does certainly permit us to go through great measures of tribulation here below, he reminds us that he went through it first. He paved the way. Christ is our great high priest. He's been touched with all of our infirmities. We're able to come to him and find help in time of need. He's a merciful high priest. He understands what we're going through. He's personally experienced it. And we can come directly to him and find hope and help in our time of need. Hebrews says, he lifted up his hands and he died on the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead three days later, and that's the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. When Jesus rose from the dead, 40 days after that, he ascended back to the right hand of God's throne where he now waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And as Jesus was ascending back to heaven, Luke 24 verse 50 says, Jesus, listen to this, lifted up his hands and blessed them. Why did he do that? Thomas gave us a clue. Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? They were worried sick. Their champion was going away. They knew Jesus was the prize. They knew Jesus was the goal. They knew Jesus was everything. They'd eaten with him and drank with him. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him walk on water, divide fish and loaves, and feed thousands. They knew Christ, and they knew he was their treasure, and they loved him, (laughs) even though they just miserably failed him. And Christ is now being taken away. And their hearts are heavy. You know, Jesus said just this week in the, in the weekly Bible reading, Jesus said just this week, the Pharisees said, John the Baptist's disciples uh, fast. Why do your disciples eat and drink? Jesus said, because they have the bridegroom. But the hour's coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they'll fast. Then they'll be sorrowful. And here he is. Christ is ascending away from them. They'll no longer physically be able to touch him. They'll no longer be able to drive their hands into the print of the nails. They'll no longer be able to, you know, wash his feet. They'll be no longer able to embrace him. 
And Jesus knows all this. Did you know Jesus knows what you're going through? And he cares. There's not one thing that you face that's immaterial to Jesus. Nothing. There's not one thing you go through that's beneath his dignity. There's not one thing that faces you that doesn't face him. Christ knows and he cares. And this is what he did as he's ascending up to heaven. He lifted up his hands, maybe to show them the nail prints and to say to them, it says he blessed them. Eulogio, we get our word eulogy from this word. He spoke a, a blessing over them. He gave them, enc- he gave them encouraging words. He spoke encouraging words to them to remind them, just a little while, you see me no more, but just a little while, and you will see me. Right now, your hearts are filled with grief, but when you see me, your hearts are going to explode with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. You know what I've come to believe? For some reason, in our fallen disposition, it's a lot easier for us to accept bad news than good news. For some reason, in our fallen disposition, we love gloom, doom, and despair more than we do joy and happiness. You know what I believe? I believe true joy, true peace, and true happiness is more threatening to us than just to enjoy our pity party. But our pity party doesn't glorify God. He's calling us out from it. He lifts up his hands, reminding us of his sovereignty. And notice what he does in verse 6. And swears, and that word cannot be weakened. Just because we're uncomfortable with it. It means exactly what he says. He swear by him that liveth forever and ever. Now, if I did that, it'd be sin. Jesus said to me, I'm not to swear, thank God, by the hairs of my head. (laughs) I don't have many of them left. He said, don't swear by the temple. Don't swear by the gold of the temple. Don't swear by God. We're not to take oaths. Our yea is to be our yea, and our nay is to be our nay. That's the way we're supposed to live our lives. Jesus made that very clear. But as God, as the Son of God, Jesus Christ here swears an oath upon the very throne and the integrity of him who lives forever and forever. It's a guarantee. Ron Dunn used to say, every command of God is a promise. (laughs) I guess you could say every promise is a command. When God promises something, it is going to come to pass. Nothing can stop it. And here Christ swears upon the very throne of God, and yea, God himself, who lives forever and ever, and he makes this guarantee that the time will no longer be delayed. Verse 9, the mystery of God will be finished. We could stop right here and we could spend the next four hours having a lively chat about theodicy. I won't do that. The problem of evil. How did it come? Why did it come? Why did God allow it? Why has it been allowed to, to run this course? And you know, After it was all said and done and we all gave our fanciful answers, we'd all have to acknowledge we don't really know because we aren't told. But let me tell you what we are told. It's all coming to an end. The little experiment is going to be over. 
sin's course is going to be run as far as it can. God, as he set boundaries on the sea and said, you're to come no further than this, as God set the boundary between the firmament and the land, as, as God set the boundaries between the sun and the moon and the stars, he has equally placed a limit on sin. And as Paul called it, the mystery of iniquity. And here it says in verse 9 that God is going to finish the mystery. That's what Jesus is swearing. That's what Christ is promising. The King James Version translation is a little bit unfortunate. It says that time should be no more. But your translation probably says that there should be no more delay. And that's the best translation. In other words, this thing's rocked on for ages and gone on. And we've seen COVID and we've seen SARS and we've seen AIDS and we've seen uh, every kind of affliction you can see and every kind of sin that can be imagined in the heart of a wicked fallen society is now being publicized and put on Facebook and movies and television and it's in our face. And, and we sit back and we wonder, why, God, why is this being allowed? Why does it seem that the wicked are flourishing and the righteous are perishing? Why, King David says, why, Lord? I think it's interesting, and I wish I had time to get into the little book. It says, he who had one foot on the sea and one on the land held a little book in his hand. Why, why, why? We're not always given the answers why. John was about to write down what God revealed to him. He heard it all. He heard every word, and God said, wait, put your pen down. Don't write this down. This is for my eyes only. You know what? There's just going to be some things in this life you don't get answers to. There's just going to be some things. I'm not even convinced that even after we get to heaven, we'll know it all. God will. But that's what makes him God, and that's what makes you, you. By the way, Mormon false doctrine is that you become a little Jesus. You'll never be Jesus. You'll never be a God. You'll be a redeemed sinner that's been bought by the blood of Jesus. And as such, there will always be God in his omniscience and you under him. But whatever God does choose to let us know, and whatever God chooses to not let us know, we need to abide content and we need to rest safe under that. We don't understand all that Genesis 3 has wrapped up in it. We don't understand how, we're not told how iniquity was found in Lucifer's heart. We're just told that it was there. We're not explained why Cain was able to rise up against Abel. We're not told why a tower called Babel was allowed to be built we're, we're not told why all all of these things going on in the book of revelation are going on but we are told this it's going to stop there's a limit sovereign god has drawn a line and the cup of his iniquity has not yet been fulfilled but when it is god's going to say not another step not another inch you'll not you'll not go another step and jesus has swore in an oath he's made a covenant he swore to Abraham that he would bless and multiply him. Swore. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. And certainly he did. God swore and declared Jesus to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 20 and 22. And certainly Christ is. God swore to David that the Messiah would be born through his lineage. Acts 2. And certainly Christ was. 
And here Jesus Christ swears by an oath upon the Creator who lives forever and ever that there will be no more delay. The theodicy will end. The mystery will be unraveled. The riddle will be solved. Sin will be diminished. Satan will be bound. Hell will be snuffed out. (laughs) At least to the redeemed. And he's made it in a covenant. He's made it in an oath. I just pray that this will encourage you. That though things seem to be out of control, things seem to be larger than life, things seem to be random chaos, if you look a little bit closer, you'll see the left foot of Jesus on one side of it and the right foot of Jesus on the other side, and he's made an oath to God, it will end. And there will be no more delay. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Can you imagine, Can just for a minute, and I, my, I'm just a country boy and my words won't even allow me to express it, but can you imagine for just a moment in the midst of our perverted, wicked, wicked perverted world, and America's not unique in that, this whole planet's wicked. Can you imagine right in the midst of us debating whether a girl's a boy or a boy's a girl, lesbianism, homosexuality, you just run the gamut. Can you imagine right in the midst of the Supreme Court debating abortion, Jesus Christ coming back in all of his glory and everything being subjected to his feet, all wickedness, all sin, all perversion, all filth under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and him establishing his righteous reign, no more sin, No more flesh, no more devil, the great enemies of our soul, no more pull, no more temptation. Anxiety, gone. Depression, gone. Pain, gone. Tears, over. Can you imagine Jesus Christ coming back right in the midst of tribulation? He gives you just a little glimpse of that so that you don't lose hope, so that you don't faint, so that you're not weary. It does seem that wickedness is winning, but it's losing. It does seem like iniquity is prevailing, but it's failing. It does seem that unrighteousness has the upper ground, but that ground's under the feet of Jesus. Look off away. Look off away from what it is that troubles you unto Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you grow weary in your minds and faint you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin and you have you forgotten the exhortation that he gives to fathers whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth even as a father does his son in whom he receives if you be without chastisement which we all are partakers you're illegitimate and not children 
what we're going through right now is God's disciplinary correction to create in us and conform us into the image of his son, Romans chapter 8. We're getting ready for our wedding day. We're getting ready to meet Jesus Christ face to face. And when we see him, all this black smoke, hail, fire, sun darkened, bloody river, polluted streams, sea life destroyed, is all going to be caught up in the face of Jesus Christ, the one wearing the rainbow, the one whose face is shining like the sun in its strength, whose feet are burning like brandished brass, the, the one who is standing on the earth and standing on the sea, the one who has the voice of the lion, the Lord Jesus Christ. I do think it's very interesting. The third thing, which I don't have time to preach, is that he holds in his hand a little book. Best translation would be a pamphlet. I happen to believe, and you can disagree with me on this, this is not a major oracle of our faith here. I believe that it's probably the... Uh, seven vials that are yet to come it's, it's, it's the declaration of the fact that God's wrath is going to be completed because that's the whole oath that's being made just a little portion of scripture which says to us are you listening to me it may just be a few verses it may just be a pamphlet compared to the whole work the whole body of scripture but every jot and every tittle is going to be fulfilled not one comma not one period, not one little asterisk is going to be passing away until it's all been fulfilled. We used to sing, let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Do you remember that? Just one glimpse of him in glory Will the toils of life repay? Can you sing it? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let's sing the chorus again. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus and shout the victory, just keep looking. Look away unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I love you. Christ loves you. He sees, He knows. He understands, and you're not alone, and you never will be. I will never leave thee, and I will never forsake thee, so that we might be able to boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Father, thank you for this Lord's day.